Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. On today's episode, we're probably going to get into the realm of legend. Uh, the historical figure that I want to talk about today, he definitely existed. But when I was reading up on this, I wondered if some of the stories that swirl about him might be slightly exaggerated, or numbers might be rounded up or rounded off, or if things might have been kind of, you know, massaged by later chroniclers. But still, I find today's topic too compelling to not talk about, so here we are. Today's story is about one of history's greatest spenders of wealth, a man who, if stories about him are to be believed, actually caused inflation in the Mediterranean world single-handedly. His name was Musa Keita I, better known in English by his title, Mansa Musa. And I'm not a guy who admires wealth. Um, I do not think that rich people are ontologically or existentially better than everybody else, and I'm not the kind of guy who's going to sit down and watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, or Cribs, which is basically Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous 2.0. But still, today's story is so opulent and excessive that I still find it compelling. Musa was the king of the West African Molinese Empire, which was approximately where the modern state of Mali is today in the 14th century. And we know about him mainly through Arabic sources, people he encountered on his travel, or itinerant Arabs like Ibn Battuta, who later visited Mali and the environs, and later wrote about Mansa Musa. By the way, Ibn Battuta, if you haven't heard of him, look him up. He was a traveler who went all over the place, China, India, Middle East, Africa, everywhere. He had maybe the coolest life ever, and at some point I'm definitely going to do an episode about him. Back to Musa, though. Musa was a Muslim, and when he set out on the Hajj to Mecca in 1324, he did it in style. According to numerous accounts, he left Mali with approximately 60,000. 60,000. That's the size of a small town. Attendants and slaves, and, very important to our story, tons of gold. Uh, we don't know the exact quality of the gold that Mansa Musa had with him, but he's reported to have had about 12,000 slaves who all carried approximately four pounds of gold bars each, and about 80 to 100 camels who were laden with an indeterminately large amount of gold dust, between 50 to 300 pounds. And again, exact numbers are elusive, but the point is that this guy had a lot of gold. Also, I kind of wonder how fast a group of 60,000 people, about, carrying tons and tons of gold would travel. That seems like it would take a while. All this gold came from the gold mines in the Molinese Empire, which had tons of the stuff. In the 14th century, Mansa Musa's empire, it was running an extraction operation that was responsible for approximately half the world's gold at the time. In Mali, solid gold extracted from the mines was the property of the king, the Mansa. Uh, if you happened upon a nugget or a golden rock, you would turn it over to the treasury, and then you would get an equal amount of gold dust, which was used for transactions by, I don't want to say everyday people, because I wonder how much gold, you know, laborers and farmers and working class people came in contact with. But gold dust, it was used by the merchant class for the kinds of transactions they would use. 
Uh, salt and copper were also popular trade commodities in Mali at the time. So it stands to reason that Mansa Musa would have more gold than anyone else in the world because he was quite literally sitting on a gold mine, multiple gold mines. And when he was traveling from Mali across Africa and to the Middle East, Mansa Musa gave quite a lot of it away in grand displays of generosity. There are tales of him giving away gold to the poor, uh, tales of him building mosques. Uh, one account has him building a mosque every Friday. I find that improbable. And gifting gold to worthy recipients, that kind of thing. And depictions of Mansa Musa moving across Africa into the Middle East, eventually to Mecca, they kind of remind me of Robert De Niro's character in Goodfellas. There's a scene where De Niro, he's going into a club, he's swaggering, he's swanning about with his suit and his perfect tie and his pocket square, and he's looking really great and gangstery, and he's tipping people very generously. He's tipping the bartenders, the servers, and as the narrator in Goodfellas notes, the guy in front of the club gets $20 just for holding the door. And in that scene, De Niro's character isn't throwing around money because he's generous or because, you know, he's highly concerned for everybody's well-being and wants to give them a couple of bucks, but he's using money to express how powerful he is. He is showing, he is telling everyone in the room that he is the guy with the biggest wallet and is therefore the most important. Mansa Musa of Mali is, I think, Kind of like Robert De Niro in that one scene from Goodfellas. For him, wealth and the spending of it and the lavishing of it was a kind of self-expression. So Mansa Musa, he's traveling across Africa and he eventually comes to the big commercial hub, which is Cairo. And you can probably guess what happened to the gold market in Cairo and the surrounding area because of Mansa Musa's Robert De Niroian freeness with gold. He ended up flooding the market, reducing gold scarcity, and causing a whole lot of localized inflation. Here's an account by Jihab al-Umari, an Islamic chronicler and scholar, who only visited Cairo after Mansa Musa's visit, about 12 years after his visit, but still he's one of the main sources that we have on the guy. Uh, in his description, he uses some archaic units of measurements for gold and wealth and valuables, but I think you can figure out what he means from the context. Quote, Mansa Musa flooded Cairo with his benefactions. He left no court emir nor holder of a royal office without the gift of a load of gold. The Kyrenes, people from Cairo, made incalculable profits out of him and his suite in buying and selling and giving and taking. They exchanged gold until they depressed its value in Egypt and caused its price to fall. Gold was at a high price in Egypt until they came that year. The Mythgal did not go below 25 dirhams and was generally above, but from that time its value fell and it cheapened in price and has remained cheap till now. The Mythgal does not exceed 22 dirhams or less. This has been the state of affairs for about 12 years until this day by reason of the large amount of gold which they brought into Egypt and spent there. Unquote. So, Mansa Musa gave away so much gold that he ended up depressing the Cairo economy, at least a little. And this just goes to show that Ayn Rand was right and that generosity is terrible. No, just kidding. Ayn Rand is terrible. No one should take her seriously. 
There are lots of great capitalist and atheist thinkers out there. She is not one of them. Returning to Mansa Musa, though, I'd have loved to have overheard the conversations that he probably had with his inner circle about the economic situation in Cairo. The Molinese Empire, they did have controls on gold within their borders. They did have measures in place and policies in place to prevent inflation. So it's not like this was an unknown economic phenomenon for them. Ultimately, to fix things, Musa had to borrow back gold from Cairo's financiers at a high interest rate so that he could remove all that excess wealth from the economy, so that gold could be, possibly, scarce again. And, according to Alumari, who was writing 12 years later, that didn't quite work, but still, Musa tried to make it better. When websites and media entities make lists of the richest people in history, Mansa Musa is usually on them. Uh, sometimes he is listed as the number one richest person in all of history. One site I read estimated his net worth at about 400 billion of today's dollars. But I don't quite know how accurate that number really is when you think about things like relative purchasing power, quality of life, scarcity or availability of various resources. Uh, I don't really think that you can make a one-to-one -one equivalency between his wealth and, say, that of Warren Buffett's. You, you just can't compare wealth from then with wealth from now, but lists like that are sort of fun to make. The point is, though, I think we can all agree that the guy had Scrooge McDuckian levels of cash. He had more money than Batman, so much so that he could flood a market with wealth and cause inflation by himself. That's an amazing achievement, kind of, ruining a market on your own. Very few people have ever done that. In fact, I think the list is pretty much just one person. It's Mansa Musa. Uh, Mansa Musa would go on to found the University of Sankor, a major center of learning in West Africa, and he would eventually conquer more territory for his empire. But founding institutions and gaining territory is all normal king-type stuff. His 1324 Hajj is why we remember him, and it's one of the greatest displays of opulence that the world has ever known. And again, I'm not a fan of gross displays of wealth by any means. In fact, I think displaying how rich you are is sort of tacky. But Mansa Musa was so excessive, so over the top, so wealthy, he had such an impact on the Cairo gold market that even a guy like me, who normally thinks that conspicuous consumption is sort of gauche, even a guy like me has to pause and feel something like awe for that amount of conspicuous consumption. If you want to emulate Mansa Musa and give away wealth to deserving people that you think are sort of cool, donate to my Patreon campaign. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support IT on Patreon, and sign up for a recurring donation because, you know, I am never going to read ads on this thing. I work for you. Um, also go on Facebook. We're on facebook.com slash interestingtimes with Joe Streckert. Click the like button to like us. Uh, I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. I am on Tumblr, at joestreckert.tumblr.com. Also, we are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Give us a review. Give us a rating. That helps other people discover the show. And if you are in Portland on March 15th, I'm doing a live event. So at Portland, Oregon's historical Clinton Street Theater at 2 o'clock on the 15th, 
I will be introducing one of the greatest comedies ever made, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I'll be giving a short 15-minute talk before it about whether or not there was a real King Arthur. There was not. And uh, where those legends probably, maybe, come from. So you will get a little bit of actual Arthurian history uh, before highly silly Arthurian comedy movies. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.